to Unpacking Injustice with the Montana Innocence Project. This podcast tells the real stories behind wrongful and unjust convictions and illuminates the complex issues responsible for making our criminal justice system unjust. Today, we are bringing you a conversation with researchers Allison Martin and Matt Herman about their work on racial equity and Montana's criminal legal system and efforts to improve data collection and analysis. Let's begin unpacking. Last July, the Council of State Governments Justice Center released a report detailing disparities experienced by indigenous peoples in Montana's criminal legal system. Two of the researchers, Allison and Matt, sat down with us to discuss how the study was conducted, the key findings, what it means for other racial and ethnic minorities in Montana whose criminal justice experiences were not examined due to lack of data, and current efforts to address data concerns in Montana's courts. Take a listen. Awesome. Well, I guess we'll just jump in. Could you introduce yourselves and tell us about the work that you do? Sure, Matt, I'll go ahead and get started. I'm already off mute if that works. Um, so my name is Allison Martin. I am a deputy program director at the Council of State Governments Justice Center, and I've worked at CSG for almost eight years now. And I currently oversee our work assisting states with implementing new policies and practices that are designed to improve various aspects of their criminal justice system. So over the years, we've partnered with states to help implement changes to their probation and parole supervision systems, prison and community-based treatment programs, sentencing structures, and parole decision-making processes, just to name a few. And I'm Matt Herman. I'm a data scientist at the Council of State Governments Justice Center in our research division. Um, been at CSG for about a year and a half. Before CSG, I worked in New York City at the Administration for Children's Services and their Office of Research and Analytics. Um, which that's the Child Welfare and Juvenile Justice Agency for New York City. Um, here at CSG, I worked on this Montana project that we're going to be talking about, um, some work on justice reinvestment that Allison was mentioning in Minnesota. And right now, these days, I'm working on the Justice Counts project. Thank you so much. Could you explain how the study that you both worked on titled Racial Equity in Montana's Criminal Justice System came to be? Yes. So our work in Montana began back in 2015 and 2016 when other CSG Justice Center staff worked in Montana as part of the Justice Reinvestment Initiative, or JRI, which is essentially a data-driven approach to reduce corrections and criminal justice spending and then reinvest savings and strategies that improve public safety. And the initial work in Montana was not exclusively focused on racial disparities, but through our data analysis, we did document initial evidence of disparities between white and American Indian people in both arrests and representation in the corrections populations. And at that time, we weren't able to conduct more in-depth analyses as it wasn't the focus of our project at that time. 
Then in 2019, we re-examined key criminal justice statistics and identified similar disparities then. So as an example, we found in 2019 that American Indian people were overrepresented in community supervision and prison populations relative to their representation in the general state population. So specifically, American Indian people comprised 5% of the adult population in Montana, but 16% of the community supervision population and 23% of the prison population. So all of that led to the work of the project that we're discussing today. So in 2021 and 2022, we conducted a more detailed and rigorous analysis, specifically looking at racial equity across Montana's criminal justice system. And that was in partnership with Montana Judicial Branch stakeholders. And this work was funded and supported by the U.S. Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs, their Bureau of Justice Assistance, which is BJA, with the goals of both shedding light on any observed disparities and also providing insight into key decision-making points and any factors that are associated with these potential racial disparities. And on top of that, we also sought out to document any data gaps or data quality issues so that the judicial branch can improve any racial equity related data collection challenges within the court system. Could you talk about how the study was conducted and some of the key takeaways? Sure. Um, so where we actually started um, and what we had originally hoped to do was a really um, in-depth analysis of all court, all the court's data going back about 10 years in Montana. Um, and what we found in our first look at this is that we wouldn't exactly be able to do that with data from the court system. And that's because um, about 32% of cases that we examined between 2010 and 2020 had no information about the race or ethnicity of the defendant. Um, and so when you're looking at that amount of missing data, almost a third of the data is missing, you can't really conduct um, this sort of more rigorous statistical analysis we hope to using that data. Um, so that was the first th that was the first thing we discovered, and that's a, a finding in and of itself, right? Like, if we want to analyze racial disparities, we need to know the race and ethnicity of the defendant. Um, and so when it was missing in so many cases, in, in such a large proportion of cases, that was um, we had to sort of set that data aside, and we did further analysis on where that data is missing, which judicial districts and um, what court types tend to have more missing data than others. But for the actual racial disparity analysis, we had to rely on a different data set, and that came from the Department of Corrections. Um, the limitation of that data set was that this was only people convicted of a felony offense, because um, someone who is convicted of a misdemeanor or someone who was not convicted wouldn't end up in the Department of Corrections data system. You know, they just knew about the folks that were convicted. Uh, so that was one limitation of sort of the sample we were able to use. But the on the plus side, um, information about those people's race and ethnicity was almost 100% complete in the Department of Corrections system. So essentially for every person that um, entered a 
Montana DOC facility um, or was on probation or parole, we knew their race and ethnicity. So that was the core data set that we used. And we looked at people convicted of a felony offense between 2016 and 2020. Um, people both sentenced to probation or sentenced to incarceration. Um, from there, we examined a few different decision uh, making points in the system for evidence of possible racial disparities. And a couple of those decision making points were the decision um, for someone to be incarcerated or not, sort of the in out decision, like you're convicted of an offense and are you sentenced to a period of incarceration in a Montana state facility or are you sentenced to probation and you're serving your sentence in the community? Um, Another decision-making point we looked at was the length of sentence for people who were sentenced to incarceration. And then we also looked at any possible racial disparities on um, revocation decisions. So this would be someone who is in the community on probation or parole or conditional release and then return to prison for a violation. And so those were the, the sort of key decision-making points where we examined the racial, dis you know, where we wanted to look to see if there was racial disparity. Um, and one important point, I think, to impart to the context of the story that, that you're doing and your interest in this topic is that at each of those decision-making points, we were only able to examine any possible racial disparities between the white population and the American Indian population. Um, and this was due to, again, sample size concern. So there simply weren't enough um, Black defendants who were convicted of felonies over this period to give us reliable enough results to say with a statistical level of certainty that we did observe a difference and that this difference was in part related to the race of the defendant. That makes sense. So it is not that DOC does not have the data on other racial and ethnic groups. It's that there is not enough of that data to run analysis. Is that right? Exactly. To run the kind of sort of more robust statistical analysis that we would want to sort of say, yes, there is evidence of disparity in these decision-making processes, and we're holding other things constant, but we're sort of adjusting the race and we're seeing if there are differences. Thank you. Allison, did you want to add anything? Yeah. Um, I don't know, Matt, do you have any information on hand about the quick findings from the study yeah, absolutely. that you want to run through? Okay. And then I can um, speak to some of our recommendations that we had as a result of that. For sure. So, so I mentioned those uh, handful of different decision-making points we were interested in sort of looking for evidence of disparity. Um, and at a high level, at nearly all of these decision-making points, we did in fact find disparity between white and American Indian defendants in those outcomes and in the, the treatments cited. So in that first outcome, looking at the decision to incarcerate or not incarcerate, that in-out decision, we found evidence of disparity, in particular, uh, two different offense types. Um, one of those offense categories were, were criminal endangerment and other offenses. And another offense type was public order offenses. And these were places where there were statistically significant differences in essentially the, the rate of American Indian people sentenced to incarceration versus similarly situated white people. So we can say that 
you know, for a similarly similarly situated defendant, an American Indian is more likely to be sentenced to incarceration, specifically for public order offenses and for criminal endangerment offenses, than a white defendant in that same position. Um, and we found this disparity similarly in the decision for um, whether or not to revoke someone from community supervision. Um, and again, it, the the sort of level of disparity and difference was about the same, <laughs> um, somewhere between 1.3 or 1.4 times more likely to be revoked or 1.3 or 1.4 times more likely for an American Indian to be incarcerated as opposed to a white defendant in a similar situation. Um, we also found disparity in the length of stay that people are actually incarcerated. So this analysis focused on people who were sentenced to, to prison and how long they actually spent in time. And so we found on average about 27 days longer sentence, or so, excuse me, we not sentence. We found on average, American Indian people spent about 27 more days in secure facilities than than white people. Um, and in part, uh, this is due potentially to the difficulties of reentry services and finding placements out in the community. Um, what's interesting though, is that where we did not find racial disparity was in the length of incarceration sentence. So looking at comparing sentences for people who are white and people who are American Indian, we found no statistical difference in the actual length of sentence given by the judge. But where we did find that difference is in the actual length of stay um, once someone is incarcerated. The main takeaway for me is that we examined these potential for disparity at a number of different decision-making points throughout the system. And we saw relatively pretty consistent results across, which again, gives me more confidence that there is something here that you know is real and it's not just sort of a, a artifactor of the data because we're seeing it both in that decision to incarcerate or not we're seeing it in the decision about revocation we're seeing another disparity in the actual length of stay so so again this is another sort of confidence builder in that what we're seeing in the numbers does reflect what's actually happening thanks matt yeah so i'd say that the results I mean, they speak for themselves. They give the judiciary in Montana so much more information on these racial disparities than they've ever had in the past. However, you know, to take it even further into more impactful change, it would really be critical to conduct additional qualitative research and outreach to understand the the why. So why are these disparities occurring at these particular decision-making points? And, you know, this would include talking with judges, defense attorneys, prosecutors, uh, tribal members, and supervision officers, law enforcement, you know, the variety of actors that are working within the justice system. And that was outside the scope of this project, but in our report, we did provide recommendations to try to guide the judiciary on where it should begin to target its efforts to address the disparities that we found through our data analysis. 
as the judiciary was our partner in the project and the primary stakeholder, essentially. So that included educating judges about racial disparities that are driven by some of these offenses Matt talked about, like criminal endangerment, and additionally explore any role that plea agreements may play in enabling those disparities. We recommended more coordination with judges and other stakeholders like law enforcement, the Department of Corrections, and tribal nations to investigate and address some of the challenges that we observe specific to the inequitable treatment of people that were being revoked for things like failing to comply with pretrial or post-conviction legal requirements. Those were things like bail jumping and failure to register. Since, of course, living in you know these rural settings or on reservations can exacerbate the barriers that people have to receiving services or even just communication with their supervision officers about things like upcoming trial dates and, and things of that nature. And then we recommended that the judiciary build upon the efforts that are currently being made in the state to address factors that contribute to these longer lengths of stay that Matt mentioned in secure confinement for American Indian people, and to reduce the unequal revocations for supervision violations. We recommended that the Department of Corrections continue to investigate and analyze how revocation recommendations and decisions are being made, having a racial equity lens around that. And the Department of Corrections has been studying this trend recently and is working to try to identify ways in which this disparity can be addressed. And we saw that a common violation among people that experienced a revocation was related to drug or alcohol use. And so that of course, suggests that people on supervision and in particular American Indian people could benefit from more resources for behavioral health needs. And also, I think it's important to point out that among American Indian and white people convicted of felony offenses, drug crimes was the most frequent type of offense. So this can really benefit everyone on supervision. This is an investment that would benefit everyone, but hopefully also speak to this disparity as well and, and target that American Indian population. And then finally, as our last recommendation, we point out the need for coordinating ongoing racial equity initiatives in the state, um, implementing judicial education on equity and bias, which is something that uh, the judiciary is undertaking. They just did a training on that uh, last summer and also improving the collection of race data by courts. So we had these recommendations and we also offered some strategies that Montana's court system can adopt to make it possible to conduct a more comprehensive assessment of disparities down the line in the future. Speaking to that last recommendation regarding the collection of data by the courts, if you had been able to collect uniform data from courts across the state instead of relying on DOC data only, 
do you think that you would have had enough information about race to run statistical analysis for other groups such as black defendants? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I, I think the answer is almost certainly yes, because if we if we include um, all the misdemeanors and other violations that the courts have limited jurisdiction here, it's such a, a, a huge amount of cases. So I think looking at looking across 10 years of the court data that we initially had or 11 years, it was almost 2 million cases in total. So we certainly would have seen, you know, enough, a large enough sample um, if you include all those misdemeanors and violations and infractions and lower level offenses to do an analysis. Um, we might, we still likely wouldn't have been able to do the analysis of that felony level offense at the district courts potentially, but we certainly could have seen any disparities in the courts of limited jurisdiction and state. Thank you for listening to our conversation with Allison and Matt. Their study titled Racial Equity in Montana's Criminal Justice System, an analysis of court corrections and community supervision systems will be linked in the description of this podcast. In part two, we'll learn more about efforts to improve criminal justice data in Montana and best practices for collecting accurate data about race and ethnicity. Justice is a Montana Innocence Project podcast. The art was created by Rob Truax, and the music was composed by Corey Fay. To learn more about the Montana Innocence Project, visit our website, mtinnocenceproject.org, or follow us on social media at Big Sky Innocence. Thank you for unpacking injustice with the Montana Innocence Project.